You are a lively bunch, and I love it. And we got our lead pastor and Pastor Betty as well in the front row today. I mean, how can I not feel supported when I'm preaching? We got the lead pastor and his wife here. So, hey, like six of you are excited that Pastor Greg's back. Awesome! <laughs> so, <laughs> I think you're going to be really excited to have him back preaching again. So, welcome back, Pastor Greg and Betty. Awesome. Okay, well, uh, we have been in a series on worship, and we've just felt this burden, you know, for months now to talk about worship. And so uh, we crafted this series called The Reset, Rediscovering Worship. Uh, Now, Pastor Tyler, our worship pastor, he was just up here, um, he introduced our series by outlining four things that we should expect to receive in worship. Now, why am I outlining our series again? Sometimes we hear a message and we're like, oh yeah, that was good, it was great. If you just review the content again and the scriptural supports and these things, awesome messages that we have heard in this series on rediscovering worship. So Tyler talked about uh, things that we receive in worship, a sense of God's presence, conviction of sin, a joyful reminder of His grace and inspiration to serve Him. That was week number one, about a month ago. Uh, Week number two, worship pastor Tyler came back again and he talked about having close proximity with God. What does it mean to come close to him, to offer ourselves fully to him, and to enjoy intimate relationship with him? Uh, Pastor Matty Coppin, our discipleship school coordinator, he was here for one week. He talked about um, having a distracted heart and about how our worship can easily be pulled away by other things. And he finished with the importance of making God our first love. It was an excellent message. Last week, Pastor Hayward Eastman, his first time preaching at the Father's house. How cool is it that we have a retired minister and his wife in the Father's house, 35 years in ministry as a full-time pastor, settling here saying, how can I serve? How can I help? Well, he did an outstanding job preaching last week. He talked about not allowing personal preferences to cause division and disunity in our worship, and uh, he encouraged us to remain unified in our love and pursuit of God. Okay. There's the recap for you. Where am I going today? I believe that previous messages have so excellently covered who we worship, you know, God Almighty, why we worship Him, the position of our hearts and coming into worship. I am going to talk about how we worship. This is now going to get extremely practical because there are many things that we can do to express our love and devotion to God. And so my message is called Resetting Our Expressions. And what I want you to recognize, not just this week, but the next two Sundays, uh, is that you were created with a unique and special way of connecting with your Heavenly Father. And so the invitation this Sunday and next Sunday will be to investigate the ways that you very naturally express yourself in your relationship with God. And not only that, but to learn from other people in the way that they worship. And like Pastor Hayward said last week, to be unified in worshiping the Lord. Now, um, as a support for this message, I read a book many years ago, probably about 10 years ago. It was by a fellow named uh, Gary Thomas, 
and he wrote a book called Sacred Pathways. And he talks about nine spiritual temperaments or ways of worship. And uh, what Thomas does is he goes deep into each one, talking about their strengths or maybe a little bit of their weaknesses and their tendencies, all with the goal of helping people like you and I deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, so I'm going to outline five of those today. We're, we're used to like two or three point messages. You're going to get five points today. It's going to be like, wow, and then four more next week. But I believe that you're going to be blessed and encouraged. Somebody was, I was getting texts during the service and saying, I didn't know that I was that unique and special in my expression and my worship to God. So you're going to be encouraged. Uh, So let's begin with a word of prayer, and we're going to jump right in. God, thank you for your church. Lord, I love your church. God, I love just seeing your church worship and engage with you. And God, I pray that all of these things that we talk about today would not just be information, but would provide a way for transformation, God, in our connection with you, Father. Help us, Holy Spirit. God, I don't want to just convey words. I want to convey truth, and I want that truth to go deep into hearts this morning. And the whole church said, amen. Okay. So, the first expression of worship that I want to talk about is not common here at TFH Church. There's going to be some that are a bit more familiar. There's going to be some that are like, what? No, that's not me at all. Um, But I wanted to talk about this one because I believe that many of you grew up with this expression of worship. So, let's begin by talking about traditional worship traditional worship. People who love God with rituals, symbols, and sacrifices. Now, um, I grew up in a more modern, evangelical, Christian context, um, but many of you, especially if you're older, maybe you grew up in a more traditional context of worship. And so, uh, Catholic churches Orthodox churches. Uh, Those are the old ones, but we're far enough along now in church history that Reformed Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Lutheran Church, the Anglican Church, these would be considered traditional as well. Now, TFH is unlike a lot of these churches. Uh, We are an evangelical Christian community, and we have Pentecostal distinctives. Um, Now, traditionalists are people who use rituals or liturgical pattern, or symbols, sacrifices in their worship. Did any of you grow up uh, in a church where you did a lot of repetition? Stand up, sit down, repeat this, repeat that, you know? Uh, That was intentional because ritual is the power of reinforced behavior. Now, that repetition included things like reading prayers in church or having very set scheduled times of prayer at home. Maybe symbols were a huge part of your worship expression, the most precious of symbols being the cross. But not only that, recognition given to images and symbols and things that were all over your church, like uh, pictures of Jesus and angels and the apostles and various saints. I learned this week that Many traditional churches, there's a lot of symbolism with colors 
I didn't know that. And so different banners and sashes that symbolize different things, like white being used on Easter and at Christmas is a color of joy. Red, speaking of the cross and the Lord's passion. Uh, green, it symbolizes common Sundays and ordinary weekdays. Purple is used for Lent, Holy Week, and Advent, and black is only used on Good Friday. So maybe you remember sacrifice as something that you grew up with. Uh, many Christians today, and I actually see it as an unfortunate thing, they don't practice Lent. Uh, but observing Lent is still very popular in traditional churches. Uh, what I love about traditional churches is there's a deeply historical expression in traditional worship, following practices and dates on the calendar that are thousands of years old. And that may seem archaic and boring to a lot of people, but to a traditional worshiper, there are customs and habits and routines that help them to have a rich and growing relationship with God. Now, looking into the Bible, because I want to have strong biblical support for any of these expressions we're talking about, God invented and at times commanded religious practice. People like Abraham, they built altars. Uh, the first priests, Aaron and his sons, they were given these elaborate religious rituals to follow. In the New Testament, Jesus' custom was to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Did you know that attending church weekly is actually a traditional expression of worship? Peter and John observed regular set times of prayer. Having a well-established devotional life where you read your Bible and you spend time with God, that may be considered a traditional expression of worship. Paul, the champion of salvation by grace, observed religious customs of his day. He underwent purification rituals in the book of Acts. What the New Testament emphasizes is no one will be saved through religious tradition and practice. I want you to hear that. No one will be saved through religious tradition and practice, but worshipers can be nourished by these things. Now, I'm going to give you an analogy. I just want to give you a picture. I believe this will really help you because it helped me a lot too. Traditional worship is kind of like a child playing on the edge of the ocean. Just imagine this with me, a child playing on the edge of the ocean. The child next to the vast and powerful surf of the ocean will do their best to tame the ocean. How does a child tame the ocean? That child will scoop a small hole in the sand near where the waves break, and then the water will come and will fill that hole. In essence, a child responds to the sea by creating a mini sea, which they can control and manage. And the reason that is a great example is because in the same way, traditional worshipers in all of these old churches, they believe that we cannot just head straight into the awe and power and might of God. But like a child before the ocean, we can create forms that will help us to understand something that is awesome, something that is uncontainable. And so things like rituals and symbols and sacrifices, these forms, they create a way for people to enter into God's glory and still be protected from a force that is far too great for human experience. And I want you to think about that because I believe there is something beautiful and meaningful about creating forms that help people relate with God. 
Now again, the caution, because there's a, there's a bit of a clarification with each expression of worship, is that those forms have strong biblical support and that they first and foremost honor Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. So traditional worship, that's our first expression. Uh, many of you grew up in a traditional context. So the next expression may be a little bit more familiar to us here at TFH. Uh, I want to talk about sensory worship sensory worship, and that is loving God with the senses. Loving God with the senses. These are people who enjoy a very full-bodied expression of worship. They love to have their senses awakened when they worship God. And so, in a church like the Father's House, uh, usually more modern evangelical Christian churches, you will experience things like bright shining lights, on the stage. You'll see videos with motion graphics, and you'll hear loud and exciting music. You'll see a stage full of people singing, and you'll hear instruments. Uh, When we finished this facility, we were going to include a fog machine. We were going to include a fog machine, and I was so excited about the fog machine. Produces this beautiful smoke vapor that would fill and flood the stage, and we were going to shine lights on it and do all these creative things. Now, I don't know if some of you are going to lament with me or if you're going to celebrate, but the smoke detector system that we put in this facility is not conducive to having a a fog machine. We need to change that thing out because I'm missing my fog machine right now. I even like the smell of fog machines. Like, you know, after a concert, kind of that lingering, ah, like I just want to drink it in. It's just so good. Um, Now, I hope you won't judge me for it, but I love worshiping God with my senses. I get filled up. I get motivated. I get moved when my senses are captivated. And I think that many young people, let's address young people, they enjoy sensory worship. So music and concerts and, you know, movies and stories and high-energy performances and those kinds of things. But here's the clarification. Worshiping the Lord with our senses is not just a young person's expression. This is generational. This has been around forever. This brings us back to my previous point. Some of you grew up in churches where they used incense. Wow! My grandpa... He's 88 years old. He said, I always knew it was time to pray when I smelled incense in the air. Um, Some of you grew up in churches where they used real wine in communion. How dare you? Oh, my goodness. But when you drank that real wine, that taste would linger in your mouth, and it would remind you of what Jesus did for you on the cross and shedding his blood for you. We have a beautiful facility here at TFH, but some of you grew up in communities, maybe even in this community, where the church was the tallest and most elaborate building in town. It was a visual marvel intended to draw your eyes up toward heaven, so beautiful architecture and buildings and designs and statues and paintings that were reminiscent of the throne room of God or maybe the Garden of Eden. Generations before us, Let's not get judgy on young people. Generations before us spared no expense in some of these old churches. 
Some of you may not enjoy modern graphics on the screen, but you're inspired by paintings and sculptures and various kinds of art. And you may not like contemporary worship music, but come on, the Gaithers, the old-time, you know, hymns and whatnot, classical music even, worshiping God with the senses has happened forever, and it has powerful scriptural support. What we see in the Bible and I mean, I had a hard time paring this thing down because there are so many instances. God is loud. God is colorful. He's amazing. Biblical accounts of the glory of God in heaven are elaborate and quite rarely quiet. In Ezekiel chapter 1, we have blowing wind. We have flashing lightning. We have brilliant lights and fantastic creatures, and we have a magnificent, stunning throne of sapphire. In chapter 3 of Ezekiel, he hears the sound of wings like the roar of rushing waters and loud rumblings. This actually gets really weird because uh, Ezekiel is told to take a scroll and to eat it. And that scroll actually tastes sweet like honey. And after all this, he is so overwhelmed, I mean sensory overload, he sits down stunned for seven days. In chapter 10, Ezekiel experiences burning coals, clouds filling the temple. There is biblical precedent for fog machines. Come on, we're going to get one. He sees a vision with wheels that sparkle, cherubim with four faces. I mean, holy, wow. And when the glory of God fills the temple, we again read that God's voice is like the roar of waters. Uh, Ezekiel is so overwhelmed that he falls face down. I'm going to mention one more text, jumping to the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. The apostle John has a vision of Jesus. He's praying. He's pursuing the Lord. Jesus comes. It says the hair on his head was white like wool. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters and his face like the sun shining in all its brilliance. There is such a common theme with sensory overload in the scripture because what happens to John? John falls at his feet as though dead. Same thing as Ezekiel. There are dozens of scriptural texts that convey highly stimulating experiences where being in God's presence has an enormous effect on the human senses. Now, I'm going to give you a historical quote. In the early 20th century, there was a pastor named von Ogden Vogt. Isn't that a great name? I should have named my son von von Ogden. Yeah, okay. Um, Truth must be embodied to be realized, he says. It must be incorporated to be understood. No religious movement has ever been forceful or popular without a rich corporeality. An image, a rite, a creed, a feeling, a feast, a vision, a sacrament has always been used to embody truth. And this man, if you look into the history of it, this guy's theory on worship has had a huge effect on shaping mainline Protestant churches, uh, our worship experiences. Now, before I move on to the next one, I told you that I'm going to have a little bit of a clarification with each one of these worship expressions. I want to clarify something about sensory worship, and that's that experiencing beautiful things doesn't result in discipleship. Experiencing beautiful things doesn't result in discipleship. In fact, the pursuit of beauty can actually be very selfish. We see that all the time in our world. God calls us to die to ourselves, and so it's important for us to remember that we're not to idolize beauty. 
We can create beautiful expressions and experiences, and our senses can be captivated, but we don't worship worship. We don't worship worship, because when we do, something happens. We actually transition into idolatry. Then again, those who worship God with the senses believe that anything that is going to express the truth and reality of heaven, it should be beautiful. Why do we have a beautiful facility? Why do we pursue excellence in our music? Why do we pursue excellence in our graphic design and expressions and all these things? Because heaven is beautiful. The temple of God in the Old Testament was beautiful. The Garden of Eden was beautiful. It's just, there's a lot of beauty in highly sensory expressions in churches, and I think it's a wonderful thing. So we've talked about two. We've talked about traditional worship. We've talked about sensory worship. Let's move on to a third kind, and I think this one's going to be kind of familiar to us here at the Father's House, and that is enthusiast worship, enthusiastic worship. And this is worshiping God with mystery and celebration. Now, of course, if you look back over church history, all these different expressions of worship, we kind of all gather together in different denominations. This one would certainly be more Pentecostal or charismatic. But I want to clarify something as well. I believe that every church, every group, every denomination bears some marks of worshiping God with mystery and celebration. And that's because every Christian believes in a supernatural God who manifests himself to us in supernatural ways. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died and rose again. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He ascended back into the heavens. I mean, wow! What could be more mysterious? What could be more amazing than that. We believe in healing and miracles and deliverance and the power of the Holy Spirit to do what many would say is impossible because with God, come on now, all things are possible. Most Christians believe these things, and yet I'm talking about a temperament or an expression of worship that there are some that are especially fueled by, enthusiast worship. Looking into the Bible, did you know that God spoke to people in dreams? That's pretty crazy. Jacob, Joseph, Solomon, Daniel. God spoke to people like Paul, Ananias, Cornelius, and Peter in visions while they were awake. God is speaking to us, church. He's pursuing us even while we're awake, even while we're sleeping, even while we're worshiping here on Sundays. There can be so much more going on than just the singing of songs. God is bringing insights into situations. He's providing caution and warnings. He's confirming decisions that we need to make. And so in environments like this on Sundays, but in Bible study group, having coffee with a friend, in your personal time with the Lord, you should always be open to the reality that God can move upon you in supernatural, wonder-working, miraculous ways. You may be an enthusiast worshiper if there is great expectancy in your worship. Many of us, we just think it's a matter of just standing and, and doing the stuff, singing the song, but if there's great expectancy in your worship, you, you're not looking for a planned program, but you're leaning into moments where God's going to move, and that might look like a word of prophecy or the inclination to go and pray for someone. Uh, it might look like joy and laughter and worship. It may look like tears filling people's eyes as a word is shared or as the pastor preaches. Um, it may look like raising your hands, moving your feet, shouting in a moment of passion or celebration. 
I mean, enthusiast worship, we're a little bit more used to that here. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 14, we have this guy, David, enthusiastically worshiping before the Lord. Our worship team doesn't wear linen ephods. When they worship, we could try it out. But um, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And again, it's tempting sometimes to judge people for their expressions of worship. David's wife, Michael, saw him leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. David says to his wife, I'll become even more undignified than this. I'm going to sing, I'm going to dance, I'm going to shout, I'm going to express my worship. Enthusiasts love to celebrate. Uh, Fast forward now to uh, Luke 19. Jesus is making his triumphal entry into the city. And the religious leaders, they're all crusty and hard and you know whatnot. They're complaining about the people's celebratory worship. Jesus says, I tell you, if the people keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That celebratory style is carried into the apostles' worship. Acts chapter 2, it talks about speaking in spiritual languages, speaking in tongues, you know, receiving dreams, witnessing signs, experiencing wonders. Paul and Silas, they, they sang while they were in prison in Acts 16. And in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. I already talked about the book of Revelation, but uh, worship in heaven involves crying aloud in a loud voice and the roar of a great multitude shouting hallelujah. And so the Bible has so much to say about supernatural expressions of worship. Now, a caution for those of you that would say, that's me, I'm all about that, come on now, mystery, celebration, As mentioned in the previous point, it's easy to move into idolatry with any one of these expressions, but they're actually intended to be helpful in our worship. They're not actually the point. And I think where immaturity seems to manifest itself in churches is where we make our particular bent and our style of worship the point of worship. But the point in any expression of worship is to seek and love God. Come on now. Amen? And so enthusiast worshipers shouldn't apologize for having feelings and for enjoying spiritual experiences, but they should also be careful not to become dependent upon them. Moving on, you're receiving a lot of great teachings today. The fourth expression is called contemplative worship. So we've talked about traditional worship, highly sensory worship, enthusiastic, more supernatural, charismatic worship. Let's talk about contemplative worship. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I have a hard time relating to contemplative worship. It's not natural to me. Now, some men... I say some men because this is not true for all men, but some men approach God on a very... kind of like task-oriented basis. Um, We love God, we know God, we want to honor Him and obey Him. Contemplative worship is not about a to-do list. 
It's not about a checkbox. It's far more intimate. It invites and moves you to a place of deep love and affection. Contemplative worship seeks to gaze lovingly into God's face and to be caught in the rapture of a lover's experience. Um, and so David, David in the Bible, I just mentioned him as an expression of enthusiast worship. I would say David was also very much a contemplative. In Psalm 63, it says, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you, I think about you through the watches of the night, and my soul clings to you." I mean, this is love. This is intimate. This is personal. This is close. Uh, has anybody ever read a book of the Bible called Song of Songs or sometimes called Song of Solomon? It describes the deep, passionate relationship between a husband and a wife, but it has also often been understood as a picture of the love relationship that we can have with God. It talks about being faint with love, about searching passionately for the one that your heart loves. It's intimate. It's intense. As we mature, we learn that Christianity is about intimacy with God. And obedience is simply one of the roads that we travel as we lovingly relate with God. Uh, another scriptural support for contemplative worship would be um, Mary Magdalene in the Bible. She's the lady that brought this like expensive perfume and she poured it on Christ's head. And some of the disciples vehemently object and they're like, this should have been given to the poor. But Jesus defends her act as an acceptable offering of love. And the act is so full of adoration and love, so acceptable in Jesus' sight that he says, wherever this gospel is preached, we're going to talk about this. The incredible love that this woman expressed, her adoration. Now, I'm going to share another quote. Uh, this guy's name is Thomas Merriton, a theologian. He says, there are so many Christians who have practically no idea of the immense love of God for them and the power of that love to do them good and to bring them happiness. Contemplatives live for this love. They want nothing more than some privacy and some quiet to gaze upon the face of their heavenly lover and to give all of themselves to God. So getting practical, what does contemplative worship look like? Um, First of all, it's far more personal and intimate than the other expressions I've talked about. It might look like journaling or writing a letter to God. It might look like spending a lot of time alone with Him, singing your own song and worship to Him. It may be spending time in a prayer room, enjoying one-on-one -on -one time in His presence. Maybe intensive intercessory prayer and fasting. Contemplative prayer looks different than the way that most of us pray. Uh, most of us, when we pray, we just lay out our requests. Hey, God, this is what I need from you. One, two, three, four, five. But contemplative prayer is less about you and I setting an agenda, and instead it's waiting on the Lord. It's waiting patiently in His presence and, and taking time, allowing Him to take the lead. Uh, contemplative worship takes a lot of time. 
It's why some people can sing the same song for 10 minutes. Some of you, you sit in church and you're like, oh my goodness, I feel like this is the 40th time that we have sang this corset. Like, I'm going crazy. I can sing of your love forever. And some of you are like, I cannot sing of his love forever. I can't do it, <laughs> right? Uh, it's, why some people, it's why some people can spend two hours in a prayer meeting and enjoy. It's like a feast. They just enjoy every minute of it. Some of you, when Pastor Greg says, let's take, a mo- let's take a minute to wait on the Lord, you are counting down the seconds. You're like, has it been a minute yet? Like, oh my goodness. And there are some people that would center themselves in that moment for so much longer. Some of you are contemplative worshipers, and there's love and there's adoration in your worship expression. And not everyone engages with that level of intimacy, but it is precious in the eyes of the Lord. It's beautiful. Moving on to my final point, Uh, the fifth expression of worship, but I want to encourage you, you, you're going to come back next week because I have four more to share with you next week. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully you come back. Um, The last one today is intellectual worship. Intellectual worship, loving God with the mind. Now, maybe there have been a few people in the room and you've been feeling left out up until this point. Uh, you don't really relate with the metaphorical, highly symbolic forms of traditional worship. Uh, You don't crave a highly stimulating experience that happens in sensory worship. It's not helpful. In fact, it's distracting. Why do we have to have all of the lights and the sounds and, oh, man, goodness, just turn it off. Um, I thought more people were like me because I love that, but some people actually find that difficult. Um, Maybe you're not a supernaturally driven and charismatic person. You're not an enthusiast worshiper. And soaking in God's presence and pouring out adoration like a contemplative, maybe that's not you either. But some of you are drawn to God when your mind is engaged. And you relate mostly to the sermons on Sundays. Every now and then we run into someone that goes, oh, can we just skip the singing? Skip the singing and all the praying and all that. That's just all the fluff. Let's get to the meat and the potatoes. Come on, let's get to the sermon, right? Um, Looking into the Bible, when Moses blessed the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, the pastor tribe, he blessed a tribe that teaches God's precepts to Jacob and God's law to Israel. And so all the pastors in Israel, the Levites, were released from other duties so that they could function in their primary duty of studying and teaching. Doesn't this just bring together why we do what we do in church? This is is why the sermon is such an important part of worship. Another example of intellectual worship would be Solomon. Uh, He glorified God with his mind. Now, it's interesting to see different expressions of worship, even in families, because David was Solomon's father, and he was more of an enthusiast and a contemplative, but then he has a kid that's an intellectual. People of all the nations came to listen to Solomon teach, sent by their kings who had heard of his wisdom. Psalms and Proverbs in particular have a lot to say about it. Psalms 49, hear this, all you peoples, listen, all who live in this world, both low and high and rich and poor alike, my mouth will speak words of wisdom, the utterance of my heart will give understanding. Who wrote the book of Proverbs? Anyone? Solomon. 
Solomon, an intellectual. This is what he says. Turn your ear to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Some of you, you're more of a thinker than a feeler. <laughs> you love to think. Uh, maybe you love reading, you, or you enjoy particular studies like history and, uh, you know, theology, learning about God and the Holy Spirit and the church, or maybe you would even go so far as to investigate the original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew. Some of you, you just shut right down when we say, in the original Greek, this is what it means. Some of you are like, yeah, I want to know the original Greek. Um, many of you are diligent about reading your Bibles, and you go so far as to read commentaries, help you understand the Bible. Maybe you're passionate about explaining and defending your faith. Now, when I think about intellectual worship, uh, I'm reminded of a guy that attended our church for a long time. His name was John. I'm going to talk about John. Maybe he's listening to this message today, but John. John was and still is an extremely committed follower of Jesus. He attends church. He loves the Lord. He loves his Bible. John was very serious. He almost didn't show any emotion at all. And so in the musical portions of our services, he, like, I almost couldn't look at him. It was so funny. He, like, he would just stand stiff as a board. Everybody around him is like waving their hands and they're like dancing in the river. And John is like, he's just standing there, right? Um, but then one day, John came to me and he goes, Peter, I'm going on a cruise. And I'm like, awesome, John, you're going on a cruise. And he had a little smile on his face, a little one, so I could tell he was really excited. Um, I said, John, what kind of cruise are you going on? And he goes, an apologetics cruise. And some of you are thinking, what is apologetics? Apologetics is defending Christian doctrine where these really smart people get together um, and they defend the faith from internal heresy and external opposition and all that. And John was so excited. The cruise ship had invited all of the most articulate, well-learned Christians to come and teach people how to defend their faith. And John was going on an apologetics cruise. And in that moment, because I'd read this book 10 years ago, I was like, oh, okay. John's a thinker, not a feeler. John's an intellectual worshiper. He, he's not contemplative, enthusiast, you know, sensory. It's not who he is. And some of you, you love God when you learn something new about God. That is when you are most excited, is when your mind is stimulated in your worship. So I'm going to invite the band to come. We have talked about a lot this morning. But next week, again, I, I want to draw you back because there is so much more coming next week as well. Uh, in closing today, I want to read a verse. This is from Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. And I felt like this verse really kind of encapsulates the whole message. Jesus is teaching his followers and he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And so the invitation in this message is to worship God with your entire being. And maybe you thought that there was only one thing. Maybe you thought that worship was just what we do, singing songs on Sundays, but it's varied and it's diverse and it's beautiful and it's expressive and it's awesome.
God created you with a personality and a spiritual temperament, and he gave you desires and gifts and expressions that suit who you are. Maybe some of you are more traditional. There are traditional worshipers that still attend our church. Um, Pastor Matty Coppin is a traditional worshiper. He loves creating forms that help him lovingly relate with God. Uh, some of you are more heart and soul kind of people. If that's you, then worship God emotionally. Worship him passionately, exuberantly, intimately. Laugh, cry, sing, dance, shout, be charismatic. God bless you. If you adore God and if you're longing for deeper intimacy with him, spend time in contemplation and in meditation with his word. If you're more of a thinker and less of a feeler, it's okay. Read the lyrics on the slide. Think about them. What do they mean to you? Listen to the sermon a second time. Review those scriptures again. And as you do, understand that you are worshiping the Lord. You are loving him as you engage your mind. And finally, I want to encourage you to love and respect those who worship differently than you. Learn from them. In fact, Jesus exemplifies every single one of the expressions that we talked about. And mature believers will express all of these expressions. They'll enjoy them. They'll relish them. And so the goal here is not individual self-absorption. The goal is to learn. To learn, to learn and grow in expressing your love for God. And I want to pray for you that the Father's house will grow in being a church that loves God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing this new song together. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray for you. But let's sing with a little more gusto. gave your life for mine nailed to the cross you crucified all my sin and shame was washed by your mercy you are the treasure I find my reason for living so let my life Come and offering to the one who is worthy. All praise to the Lord Most High. All praise to the one who saved my life. All praise to Jesus Christ, my King of Heaven, my King forever. on the gates of my heart the veil in between was torn apart you hold the keys to the grave you bring things to life
my hands up, lay my whole life down, my whole life down before you. I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down, my whole life now is for you. I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down, my whole life down before you. kids and every one of those kids has a very unique and special relationship with me as their father and I'm going to use my two oldest ones as an example my oldest daughter we relate so easily she she laughs at my jokes she's goofy like me I can hug her and kiss her and squeeze her and whatnot my second daughter she hates my jokes and she, she screams at me to stop it when I'm being goofy with her. And she, she doesn't like being tickled and hugged and kissed and whatnot. Some of you in your relationship with your heavenly father, you've, you've felt out of place. You've been like, who am I? Like, how do I relate to God? I feel like, I feel like the Christian that's kind of off standing in a corner as all the other Christians are hugged and tickled and dancing with dad and enjoying relationship with him. And what I want to tell you this morning is God sees you. He loves you uniquely, powerfully, specially, just as you are. And what I'm learning in my relationship with my daughter, Isla, my second one, is she has a unique way of relating with me. And there have been times where I completely change my disposition with my daughter and she just comes undone. And she enjoys relationship with her father. Now, I encourage you to listen to this message again and say, 
Father, how am I going to relate to you? How am I going to love you? How am I going to enjoy relationship with you? And I promise you that God, God is right there. He adores you. He loves you. He just wants to spend time with you. And so God bless you as you spend time with him and as you learn and grow in your worship expressions. If you don't have a relationship with God this morning and you're like, I feel really left out and alone, but I want to know God, can I pray for you? Is there anybody that would raise their hand and say, yeah, that's me. I haven't quite figured out how to relate with dad, <laughs> with God. Anybody? pray for you anyways. And if there's anybody that would like to receive God into their life for the first time, you need to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to spend time right at the front of the stage after this message, and I want you to come and talk with me, okay? Let's raise our hands. Let's do the enthusiast thing right now. Everybody, show me your hands. Yeah. <laughs> Let me pray for you. God bless your church. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for new life in our worship, in our way of lovingly relating to you, God. Lord, I pray that you would captivate our senses. I pray that we would create forms of uh, understanding how to relate with you. God, you would awaken us in worship and celebration and mystery. God, I pray that you would overwhelm our minds as we learn about you. God, bless your church with all the more worship expression as we continue this series together. I pray for an amazing week for each and every person in the room. And the whole church said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Just a reminder that Walk for Water is two weeks from now. Not this Saturday. Next Saturday, August 27th, we're going to be walking together to raise money for people that need water. Don't forget to go and take some vegetables and some flowers home with you from the Five Loaves Ministry. Have a great week.